Our scripture this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. Hear the word of the Lord as we have it in Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I have given Egypt as your ransom, Cush, Seba, in your place, since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you. I will give other men in your place and other peoples in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. The Bible tells us that uh, we will uh, face uh, many obstacles uh, in our faith. And it's my own conviction that these obstacles will intensify uh, in the future. What form that takes, uh, it may be physical persecution. Uh, certainly there will be doctrinal perse uh, persecution as we uh, see the faith uh, erode uh, in our country. But nonetheless, uh, obstacles will ab abound. But the Bible tells us of uh, the people of God that uh, he will deliver us out of them all and will gather us unto himself. It's a great promise of God in the midst of the obstacles that we undergo uh, and the reality that in the end of time he will gather all of his people uh, unto himself. It's really the promise that is set before us in the text of Isaiah this morning. Uh, the controlling issue of this text uh, you listen to the reading of the Word of God, uh, is that of fear. We, we fear because of obstacles. We fear sometimes because we question the promises of God. Uh, if you look at Isaiah 43, uh, verse 1, do not fear. Uh, and then again, we pick it up in the fifth verse, do not fear, for I am with you. God's reminding us uh, that we're not to fear. Uh, and each uh, of the two sections that govern our text uh, tell us or give us reasons that we should not fear. Uh, the immediate context for uh, the prophet is that of uh, a return from Babylon. Uh, the nation is going to be kicked out of the land because they have uh, engaged in idolatry. And uh, Isaiah is prophesying that uh, God will deliver them uh, from Babylon, just as he delivered the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. Yeah. The larger issue for us as Christians today is uh, God will deliver us. We will have safe passage and uh, uh, partake in the great exodus 
uh, that is ongoing that will end, of course, in eternal glory in heaven. So there is a promise to the children of Israel of another exodus. There's a promise to us, again, of the greatest of, uh, of all exodus, of all of the scriptures, that we are journeying to heaven, that we will overcome every obstacle, and that God will gather us unto himself. Let's look at these, uh, these promises of God uh, that ensure to us a safe passage. Uh, the first section of the text is verses 1 to 4. Uh, God begins by identifying himself as creator and the one who formed Israel. Uh, both of these verbs of creation and formation uh, are found, as you might expect, in Genesis chapter 1. And it's really a fundamental theology that uh, the people of God must embrace, that God is the sole sovereign creator. He forms the physical universe by his sovereign power. All he does is speak and the earth is formed. In New Testament theology, God creates the church. He is the sovereign creator of the church. He forms us. He creates us. Uh, it's a compelling theology because it forms the entire basis of our salvation. Uh, you and I will confront obstacles throughout all of our lives, but they are not obstacles to God because he creates. All he needs to do is speak and the obstacles will be removed, and of course his divine presence with us in the midst of all of the obstacles of our lives uh, come to us the reminder uh, that God is uh, the sovereign creator. One of uh, uh, my favorite psalms, in fact I recite it most every morning, uh, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. Uh, I look into the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord God who made heaven and earth, that all of us throughout our lives will encounter occasions in which we need help. God is the creator. He is our help. Uh, it means that deliverance is linked to the ability of God. And so one of the things that's, I think, uh, instrumental to our faith is a faith based upon who God is. And who is God? The sovereign creator. He forms the universe. He forms the church. We're the product of his uh, sovereign creative word. And as creator, God will make a way for us. Uh, I think uh, most instructive to each of us as we encounter difficulties in life, particularly difficulties to our faith, is that God will always clear a way through and God will always be with us. Yeah. What follows in the text... Uh, uh, our reasons uh, not to fear, or to put it in a more positive way, promises and affirmations that mitigate fear. God says uh, to Israel, and he says to us, I have redeemed you. Namely, he has purchased us by ransom. In the Old Testament, there was a ransom of the entire sacrificial system. Uh, for us as uh, the sons of God, he has ransomed us by uh, his own son, Jesus Christ. He has bought us and purchased us, and therefore he owns us. He says to Israel, I've called you by name. Again, God's sovereign election of his people. He says, you are mine, ownership by uh, the divine power, that God owns us. Uh, 
Uh, in New Testament theology, we can repair in similar vein to Ephesians chapter 1. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Uh, he predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ. Uh, the great uh, initiative of the power of God, uh, God bringing us unto himself. And that in and of itself becomes foundational uh, to help us see our way through all of the obstacles uh, that will come our way uh, as we desire to be faithful to the one true God. Again, that was the promise to Israel, but it comes to us in a much more intense form uh, because of the work of Jesus Christ in creating the church. Because we are the heirs of the divine promises and understanding who we are is essential to being faithful as we encounter difficulties. It's good to remember uh, that uh, God has set his love upon us from eternity past. That God has with us in the presence of the Spirit. The promise here uh, becomes uh, most instructive to the theology of Isaiah because much of it is based upon the truth of the exodus, that God is going to begin a new exodus from Babylon. Based upon what? Well, certainly the exodus from Egypt, that God led his people, that God placed them in the promised land, uh, breaks upon the church in a more powerful way because you and I are part of the last great exodus to heaven. Uh, notice, notice the link between the theology of this text and what is going to occur Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Again, these are obstacles, water obstacles, obstacles of fire. God is promising his divine presence. Uh, I've previously discussed uh, God's salvation through water obstacles, of course, uh, based upon deliverance to the Red Sea. Uh, also reminded for us again when the children of Israel were entered the promised land, again, the Jordan River fled before them. Uh, the great reminder from Revelation chapter 12 that uh, Satan will spew out uh, uh, great waters of deception to sweep the church away, but God helps the church and the earth helps the church based upon the theology of the Exodus, that God preserved his people through the Red Sea, through the Jordan River, God will preserve us. It's the divine promise uh, to encourage our faithfulness as we encounter all of the obstacles to our faith. Again, the promise I am with you. Uh, this uh, reminder through another psalm, uh, Psalm 124, uses this uh, same uh, imagery of water obstacles. Psalm 124, uh, it's a pilgrim psalm. The, psalm, the, the uh, faithful children of Israel would sing these psalms as they were to go to Jerusalem during the great pilgrim feast, uh, reminding they would leave their homes in a place of safety and all along the way encounter difficulties. Notice Psalm 124, verse 1. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, reminding the children of Israel that God is with them, that God was by their side. Now look at uh, the water obstacles of verses 4 and 5. Then the waters would have engulfed us. 
the stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. But they're rescued because God was with them. Again, danger in the Christian faith as a countervailing force in the divine presence. Uh, the second obstacle of uh, the text in Isaiah is that of fire. It's a conceptual illusion here, I think. Uh, it's most important to reconstruct, <clears throat> found in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and uh, verse 20. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt. To be a people for his own possession is today. It's, I think Isaiah is alluding to Deuteronomy chapter 4. He's presenting an obstacle of fire before the people. As Egypt was a furnace, Babylon's going to be a furnace. And can God rescue them from that furnace? Absolutely, because of who he is. And because of who they are, he has set his love upon them. He will rescue them and deliver them. Uh, the implicit reality is that he will bring them out of Babylon just as he brought them out of Egypt by his sovereign power. There's another book in the uh, Old Testament that was written to uh, the children of Israel as they were uh, undergoing uh, the Babylonian captivity. Isaiah is prophesying it. But the book of Daniel, they're living in it. Uh, great text here uh, that I ask you to turn to because there is an obstacle of fire uh, that challenges true Israel in uh, Daniel chapter 3. I mean, you know the story. True Israel is, is, uh, is asked to fall down and to worship an idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to worship the idol and the gods of Babylon. And so this enrages Nebuchadnezzar, who's going to throw them in a furnace of fire. And again, that language, I think, is picked up exactly, the theology is picked up by the prophet Isaiah. He's going to preserve his people through the fire. Uh, Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. These three men represent true Israel. They refuse to compromise their faith, even though it may cost them their lives. Perhaps they knew something of the theology of Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 20, that God is able to deliver his people from any furnace in which they are thrown or cast. Uh, now again, let's look at uh, verses 24 to 27. The Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste. He responded and said to his high officials, was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. He answered and said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. 
Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. And the satraps and prefects and the governors and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. It's a great reminder that God is able to deliver his people from the fiery furnace. By the way, I think this uh, uh, is picked up, uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, times of tribulation uh, that the church is always going to go through, uh, Luke uh, uh, chapter 21 and verse 18, the promise of God, yet not a hair of your head will perish. I think Luke had in mind Daniel chapter 3. Perhaps he had in mind Deuteronomy chapter 4, that God is able to deliver his people from the furnace of fire. Notice it's instructive uh, in terms of basing our theology on the Word of God that uh, He doesn't keep them out of the fire. He delivers them through it and from it because He is with them. But deliverance is certain, and they're preserved and protected. Uh, the, the presence of the fourth pre-incarnate Son of God, an angel, and I don't know. I just know it was the divine presence preserving and keeping His people so much so in the entirety of its perfection that the smell of the smoke wasn't even upon them as a reference to the power of God to deliver his people. Uh, the three were faithful. They would not engage in idolatry, and God preserved them in the midst of the fire. Uh, oftentimes, I think we fail when we think that uh, God is not going to... Uh, uh, have us go through testing. The scripture speak just the opposite. Uh, he preserves us through testing, in testing, and he rescues us uh, completely uh, by the divine presence. Uh, again, Luke, not a hair of your head it will be singed or damaged by the fire of the testing that will come upon the church. Reminder of the divine presence God is uh, with us in the furnace and will see us through uh, the fires of the testing of the obstacles of our faith. Now, perhaps the Apostle Peter has this in mind uh, when he writes in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a reminder that we're going to encounter obstacles, but God will see us through them. In this case, he uh, preserves his people uh, through the fire. Something of our Lord's... Uh, High Priestly Prayer, uh, John chapter 17. 
in the 15th verse. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one, which is exactly the reality of our faith. We live in the world, we encounter testing, we go through fire, but God protects us from the evil one. And the outcome is certain because of the divine presence of God. You know, Satan has a way of telling us as we encounter obstacles that we're alone. We're never alone. Uh, Jesus says, Great Commission, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, just as there was a divine presence in the furnace of Daniel chapter 3, the divine presence is always with us in all of the difficulties and obstacles to our faith. I, I do want to come to... Uh, in light of the imagery of fire, there is a good reminder of the gospel in all of this. Uh, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 42. Uh, because there is a greater king than Nebuchadnezzar, and all who reject him will be thrown into fire, and they will not be preserved. They will be utterly destroyed throughout all eternity. Matthew 13, 42, and will cast them into the furnace of fire in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. God preserves his people through fire. Everyone else will be cast into it and will suffer through all eternity. It's the importance of the gospel, the people of God, of coming to Christ because he is with us in the fire and will preserve us and keep us throughout all eternity. But all who reject the Savior will go into the furnace and never come out. If you're not a Christian, I remind you of the truth of the living word of the living God. That all of us go through fire. Only the church will, will uh, overcome it and come out successfully because of the presence of God or with it. Now, the section here uh, closes with further affirmations of, of uh, who we are because of uh, the sovereign blessings of God. You are precious, you are honored, uh, and God says, I love you. It's a good reminder to all of us that, that we encounter difficulties, that we sometimes feel entirely alone. We're never alone. God loves us. We are precious in his sight. We are his sons by the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, he will preserve us and keep us. In the midst of all of the difficulties we will encounter, God's love will abide and rest upon us and preserve us. It's good to remember what God thinks of us. Now, sometimes I think we are too enamored by what the world thinks of us. Reject that. It's what God thinks of us because we are his sons. Of course, there's no merit here. There's only God's sovereign grace. Uh, he elects us in his son by his sovereign power. But nonetheless, we are the sons of the living God and we're going to pass through the water obstacles, and we're going to pass through the fire because he will preserve and keep his own. Isn't this the reality of the theology of uh, the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 8? If God is for us, who can be against us? We're going to encounter the rage of men throughout all of our lives, uh, and certainly uh, the children of of uh, God was always going to encounter the rage of the world. But Paul says, if God's for us, who's against us? Who can separate us 
and the love of God in Jesus Christ? And the answer is nothing. No one, no place, no obstacle, no difficulty is too great that God cannot get at us because God is always with us. I confess to you uh, something of my own age. I'm a child of the 60s. I remember that uh, something of the refrain of rock song, no mountain high enough, no valley low enough, no river wide enough that God can't get at us, preserve us, keep us, and protect us. Thank God we don't build our theology on rock songs, but that's the truth of the scripture. There are no obstacles that God cannot preserve or keep us safe, and deliver us unto our eternal home. Now, by the way, if you're not a Christian, you'll never get there. If you are, uh, remember who you are. Remember who God is, and that God will preserve and keep you in the midst of all of the difficulties of your life. We turn now from obstacles, uh, beginning in verse 5, to the rest of the section down to verse 7 to the gathering of the people of God. You know, sometimes we, uh, we might uh, think that, well, God's forgotten me, and uh, maybe in the eternal celebration, uh, I'll be left out, the doors will close, uh, and God will uh, forget me. And so uh, the prophet now turns to the power of God to gather his people. Uh, the first audience, of course, is uh, Israel in Babylon. The promise breaks that God will gather them by his sovereign power. Uh, you and I live in a spiritual Egypt. God's going to gather us by his sovereign power. Uh, again, the, the same uh, governing refrain, do not fear, I am with you reminding the children of Israel of his presence and his ability to gather them. And so, in like manner, I remind you, you're never alone. God is always with you. The controlling language here shifts to the sovereignty of God in bringing his people back. Uh, notice, uh, notice verse 5. I will bring your offspring from the east. I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. So God's going to bring his people. Notice, notice how that occurs. Uh, he commands the four corners of the compass to deliver his people. I will say to the north, give them up, and say to the south, do not hold them back. Great reminder of the power of God that his people have been scattered, but he's going to recover them and gather them and bring them unto himself. How? By simply commanding. And the four corners of the compass will deliver the people of God to the presence of God. Of course, distant prophetic reality that occurs in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, 
Uh, but that sets the stage for us as the church in a much, much greater, more powerful sense of fulfillment. Uh, indication of this, I think, is uh, uh, Luke uh, alludes to uh, this language, Acts chapter 18. Uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, the Apostle Paul is uh, prosecuting the call of God and advancing the gospel. Uh, Acts chapter 18 and verses 9 and 10. The Lord said to Paul, In the night by vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. Uh, Paul, subject to fear, uh, God encourages him with the divine presence, tells him not to be afraid, and that uh, he will not be harmed. Uh, in the immediate context, uh, Gentiles in the city of Corinth are coming to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and are being baptized, and therefore Paul is being used by God to gather his people as a greater, more ultimate fulfillment uh, than Isaiah chapter 43 and the gathering of the people of God from the four corners, uh, four points of the compass. Uh, escalated or more intense fulfillment uh, in the ministry of the Apostle Paul and the coming of Gentiles. By the way, it's a great illustration here. I, I think that all of us, uh, myself included, uh, sometimes uh, become subject to the fear of man. We, we become timid in sharing the gospel. Uh, reminder here that uh, we don't need to be timid. We don't need to be afraid. We just simply need to speak the truth in love because gathering belongs to God. You and I cannot gather. We don't have that power, but God does. And so... Again, we're always going to struggle over the fear of man, but we need to be reminded that uh, God has not given to us uh, the ability to gather. That's his ability and his power. We simply speak the word, and that's the point that God is uh, reminding the apostle of. Don't be afraid. Speak the word. You won't be harmed. I'm gathering my people. Greater, more escalated fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 43 in the ministry of the church the Apostle Paul gathering Gentiles. Now Luke also alludes to Isaiah chapter 43 uh, in, in his gospel. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 13 in verse 29. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. And you can see in the similarity of language that the Apostle is alluding to Isaiah 43 as he references the four points of the compass. Uh, I think the parallel in Matthew is uh, very helpful in interpreting uh, this reality. Uh, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11. And I say to you that many shall come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, the, the context is most instructive here because uh, uh, it is the Gentile, a Roman centurion coming to faith in Jesus Christ. 
And, and Jesus, uh, again, alludes to Isaiah 43, of the coming of this Gentile, this Roman centurion, and tells uh, his disciples that he will recline with the great patriarchs in the consummated kingdom. Very uh, ironic, the fulfillment, uh, because in the Old Covenant, uh, Jews could not eat with Gentiles. It's a violation of Old Covenant law. Uh, but Jesus is now gathering and plundering the nations and the coming of this Gentile, and he's uh, reminded that he will recline with the great patriarchs and eat with them in the last great uh, meal celebrating the consummated kingdom the power, the mercy of the gospel of God, gathering the nations unto himself and gathering his people. And by the way, what prevents the Gentile from coming? Nothing. He belongs to God and God claims him and gathers him and he will eat with the patriarchs in the consummated kingdom. The great reminder of the power of God, the ministry of Christ, that Isaiah chapter 43 has a more escalated fulfillment in uh, uh, the end-time kingdom that has now begun in the call of Jesus and gathering his people, and of course that will end uh, in all of the people of God sitting with the patriarchs, celebrating uh, the consummation of the divine promise. What I mean to say by that is that uh, the call of God that's issued now to the nations has begun. He's gathering his people from the four corners. And they include, of course, Jews, but they include something that's ironic, namely Gentiles, and he's gathering them, and in the consummated fulfillment, they will sit with the patriarchs and celebrate the majesty of the divine provision and the power of God to gather his people. You know, one of uh, the favorite texts of the Reformed theology John chapter 6 and verse 44. No one can come to me except the Father who has sent me draws him, and I'll raise him up on the last day. The drawing has begun. God is gathering his people from the four corners of the world, and they're coming. And God will gather them, and none will be lost. And God, through Jesus Christ, will raise them up on the last day. That the end-time gathering of the people of God has begun in Jesus, and nothing can prevent us from coming because of the divine presence and power. None of God's people will be lost. He will gather them, and they will sit with him and celebrate the majesty of his power, his presence. Obstacles will not hold the people of God. The entire fury of Satan will try to prevent them from coming, but it's not enough. God will defeat them and uh, uh, overcome them for his people and will gather them. Nothing can stop him uh, in gathering his people. Remember a number of years ago when I was still in the service, I was uh, reading, because uh, it was the height of the Cold War, I was reading a obstacle about uh, the KGB and Soviet Russia. For some strange reason in this book that was you know, not a book about the Christian faith or theology, it was a book about uh, the evil of uh, the Soviet Empire. Uh, but the author uh, 
gave a Christian illustration. There was a Reformed uh, Christian in the midst of this terrible, terrible land being persecuted for his faith. But he was faithful in serving Christ and believing in Christ. And so KGB just simply came home one day and took his four daughters. He had four daughters and dispatched his four daughters to the four corners of the Soviet Union. Imagine how he felt. But again, what instructs his faith? God can gather his people. Not even the power of the KGB can stop God from gathering his elect from the four corners of an evil, godless country. Think of Christians who might live today in North Korea. God's going to preserve them and keep them. Oh, they may be killed. I'm not suggesting that uh, our bodies uh, won't perish sometimes on behalf of evil men, but their souls will be rendered safe by the power of God to eternal glory. It's my own conviction that uh, uh, the church suffers different forms of persecution in the world today. I'm not so sure in the American church, it's not doctrinal persecution. It's just a subtle advancing erosion of the faith. We should reject that. I think that's something of the call of the Apostle John when he closes his first epistle. Uh, Do not worship idols. And the entire epistle is a reminder of the sovereign power of God in gathering his people and giving them faith and causing them to love and causing them to be faithful. But today we reject all that theology, and I'm not so sure that's not idolatry in and of itself. Reject idolatry. Stand firm. Be faithful. God is with us. God will gather us and deliver us safely into our eternal home. Isn't that the reality of the 23rd Psalm? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The table is being prepared. God is gathering his people. One day we'll sit at that table and rejoice with the patriarchs and sing the honor and the praises and the glory of God because of his presence with us, preserving us and keeping us through all of the obstacles that tried to stop us from coming to God and gathering us from the four corners of the world. The power of God. The text uh, of Isaiah 43 closes uh, much as uh, the previous section did, reminding us of our identity. We are called by God and created for his glory. In the church today, we need to recover who God is, the sovereign, majestic creator, not just of the physical universe, but of the church. We are the church of the living God. We are products of his sovereign creation in making us new. We also need to recover uh, the theology of who he is and his ability, his divine presence, and who we are because of our sovereign election. Well, the point of this text is, again, that we will encounter obstacles. God will see us through them all. And God will gather us. When he comes and dispatches his angels to gather his people, 
we will come. We will recline with him the great celebration of all time that God delivers and gathers his people. And how are his people to be defined? Faithful. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Faithful. Refusing to worship false gods. Refusing to worship false theology. Being faithful. And thank God, he's faithful to us. He'll deliver us and he'll gather us. And so on all of the difficulties of life, be of good cheer. God is with you. Nothing can prevent you from achieving the end-time reality of your eternal home. And then in God's own time, he will gather you unto himself and presents you spotless and blameless before his throne to worship him throughout all eternity. May this text and all that it means encourage you in the midst of the difficulties of your faith with the great reminder of who God is and who you are, that you'll come through them all and that God will rescue you and that nothing will stop that because of who he is. May God bless us in these great truths for his glory and to provoke our continued faithfulness as the true people of God.